to the Rebel Love Podcast, where each week I'll bring you a new episode exploring love, sex, relationships, and money. Join me as together we question, explore, and strive to understand. Well, hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Rebel Love Podcast. Today, my guest is Tana Espino, love and relationship coach and founder of Love's Hustle. She guides women in healing codependency and anxiety in relationships so that they can begin to deepen their values, strengthen their confidence, and get real about love. Through her personal journey with codependency, she's made it her passion to help others go from anxiety and push and pull partners into peacefully secure relationships, even if they've struggled with love their whole lives. Welcome, Tana. Thank you, Talia, for having me on. I'm so glad you are here. I'm really excited to have this episode because today we're going to talk about anxious attachment and codependency. Yes. yes. Which I feel is kind of probably more common than we'd think, right? Right. Yeah. No, it is. It is. Absolutely. Um, before, before we get started, I'd love it if you could share a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are today. Um, and if codependency or anxiety was part of that journey. Absolutely. Yes. The reason why I'm so passionate about helping women is because it was part of my journey from a very young age, back-to-back relationships, didn't even realize that it was, you know, this anxious attachment mixed with codependency. And it wasn't until um, a significant breakup several years back where I realized like, whoa, I have this pattern. And I read up on anxious attachment, was reading up on codependency and everything was resonating with me. And from there, it's when I started um, my journey into that and really helping women specifically heal through that based on what I found worked worked um, in healing that and shifting that. And it's that connection back to yourself and that connection with your body and all of that, which I had a, an amazing somatic therapist help me through that process. And that was like the big like, whoa, because I'm like, oh, wait a second, like the anxiety is stored in my body oh, like this relational trauma or emotional wounds are all in my body. And so I've been disconnected from my body for so long and disconnected from my intuition and all of that. So that was like the, like, wow, okay. Connection back to the body. That's very key here, especially when we're talking about codependency and anxious attachment. Mm-hmm. Light bulb moment. So um, with the book, like how did that journey get started? Did somebody give you the book and then you read it and you were like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this, I'm reading about myself. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. Yes. Uh, A friend gave me the book and just, it wasn't even a book to like, Hey, you need to read this because I think you have this. It was like, Oh, I'm reading this book. It's like so insightful. Like I want to share it with other people. I, I, I think she had finished reading it and she let me, and she gave it to me and I'm like, Oh, okay, cool. Like, let's see what this is about codependency. I don't even know what that is. And it was Mm -hmm. the book codependent. No more was the name of the book that she, and I was reading, I was like, Oh my gosh, like, Whoa, this, you know, I could relate to this, like what's going on. And I read it, but I put it down. Like, like I read it, I, it, it resonated, but I was still also in a relationship where I was very anxiously attached as well. So I didn't really take any action from there. I just, I just knew that it resonated with me. It wasn't until I noticed my anxiety was getting to a point where it was not healthy that I was like, I need to do something about this because I've been reading and I've been doing everything and and, uh, and that's when I sought out a somatic therapist to work with the body. And honestly, I didn't know like really what that was going to be like 
but yeah, it just kind of opened up this whole new world for me. Yeah, I bet. Okay. So before we move any further, there's a lot of words getting thrown around it. And just for our, our listeners that may not know what these words are, let's clarify some things. So yeah, first of all, can you define for us what codependency is? Yes. Yeah. Let's, let's start there. Yeah. So codependency is, and in this word, uh, it developed way back in the seventies and it was first called like co-alcoholics because it was to describe partner of somebody who had substance use, um, and alcoholism in the eighties with some, uh, the author of codependent and more, uh, Melody Beatty, she coined the term codependent mm-hmm. for, instead of co-alcoholic. And now people started using the word codependent to not just describe like the partner um, of someone with substance abuse, but just in general, a person who gets into that fix your savior rescuer role, puts their needs last, everyone else's needs first for the purpose of maintaining like stability in, in the relationship. So in this case, if we're talking about romantic relationships, for the purpose of maintaining the romantic relationship, almost feeling really good to feel needed by the partner. Mm-hmm. In this case, usually a partner tends to have some sort of like distress or maybe even substance use or maybe a mental illness. Something's going on with the partner that then the, the woman, in this case, I'm, you know, I'm talking about the, the, the person here, she might get, she might want to get into that role of wanting to fix and help and forget about her needs and actually lose herself mm-hmm. in her partner because she seeks or she finds her worth in uh, feeling needed and fe- being that rescuer. And so that's kind of like how that, you know, gets into with romantic relationships, but it starts in childhood. In childhood, it would have, this codependency in childhood, it would have, I mean, usually it starts in childhood. There's, you know, not, not always, but most of the time it starts in childhood where there was probably in your family system, um, some instability, some unpredictability, something where you felt like you needed to take care of the needs of others and maintain that like balance in the family system. Right. And so from there, then it grows and then you see it come out and in all types of relationships, not just romantic, but in this case, because I specialize in the, with the romantic relationships, like that's what I'm referring to here. Mm-hmm. Wow. This is fascinating because what I'm hearing is like perhaps codependent people get something out of it in terms of yes. some of their, their, uh, their needs met. Um, I'm, I can't think of the yes. word, not intellectual, but uh, emotional needs. Yes. Right, exactly. Because in childhood, their emotional needs, right, as you know, children have these needs to feel seen and heard and acknowledged and validated and to feel mm-hmm. valued and special and loved and safe and protected, like all these like needs. And if that's not happening, yes, then unconsciously, then in partnerships, you know, you seek to get that need met. Mm-hmm. Although it's not, you're not really getting it met, though. You, you, you're working for it. Because your partner, usually, usually your partner is going to be someone who cannot meet that need for you. So it's almost like you're working for love. You're performing for love. Like you're doing all the things and you're unfortunately not getting that need that you, that you're seeking. You're not getting it met. There's a sense of void and discomfort and anxiety internally. So then that person is then seeks externally Mm -hmm. in the form of a relationship of trying to help, trying to feel needed, but it's not going to fill, fill that that need that makes mm-hmm. sense okay okay so a couple more words before we get into the more nitty-gritty let's define anxiety 
And let's also define, there was one other word you said before that I cannot. Oh, uh, somatic therapy? Yes, or maybe, yes yeah. somatic therapy. I'd love to like go into what that is as well. Thanks so much. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so in the context of like uh, anxiety and, and anxious uh, attachment, right? So anxiety at when someone's feeling anxious, you know, they're they're not trusting what's happening externally. They feel like they need to control whatever's going on, right? They feel like they need to prepare and anticipate for the worst, waiting for that other shoe to drop or, you know. And so in relationships, when we're talking about anxious attachment, usually that person is in their fight or flight response. They're in that survival state of like, oh my gosh, I have to do something about this thing right now. And that's the anxiety. It's like, I have to, there's something that I need to do and and to fix and to plan ahead and and do all these things so that this terrible thing that I think is going to happen won't happen. So there's a lot of like these worried thoughts that go through the person's mind. So with anxious attachment in relationships, it looks like, you know, when you feel that your partner is maybe emotionally or physically distancing themselves, you're wanting to attach because you feel safest attaching to the partner. You don't feel safe when there has been this gap or this period of like, we're going to say space in between, right? Like, let's say you don't hear from him for a few hours. Someone with a high anxious attachment might start to wonder, oh my gosh, what's going on? I need to call him. I need to text him. He has, or they're checking their phone every few minutes. They haven't heard back. And like, then there's a need for them to want to figure out what's wrong. Did I say something wrong? Is he mad at me? What's happening? Mm. And so there's a lot of that anxiety in relationships as well. There's so much more to that, but I'm just giving like the a little bullet point summary. Yeah. That sounds exhausting. That sounds absolutely exhausting. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's funny, actually. I, I mean, I, I've I've experienced anxiety to the level that other people have because I was living with a friend temporarily in Toronto Mm -hmm. and I had not seen anxiety in the works until I was with her. And it was only temporary. It was like a month we were living together, but I could Mm -hmm. not believe the level of worry, the constant worry. Yeah. And I almost, I I guess I just didn't, I just never seen it before. So I just didn't know what it looked like. I didn't know how it manifested. And I just kept thinking, you know, I was trying to be there for her and, you know, but it was such a irrational level of, you know, of worry. Yeah. Like you say, the fight or flight. And I I can just imagine the tension in your body all the time and what that does to your kind of, I don't know if it's adrenals or cortisol or. Oh, absolutely. I have a lot of clients that I work with that when they've been in this survival state, this anxiety for, for such a long time and such a long time of using that, like kind of some because each person's body is so different. It just depends. Mm-hmm. But when they've been in that state for a while, they have some type of physical ailment. Maybe they get constant headaches or maybe they, they have a lot of like pain or tension in their back area, or maybe like they have like, uh, like stomach issues or something that there's something heartburn, like that there's something that, usually that they have some sort of physical ailment mm. in relation to being in this anxiety for such a long time. Yeah, it, it definitely, it makes sense that you would. And oh my gosh. Okay. So let, let's um, actually, I kind of want to stay on this train of thought. So yeah. if somebody is in that, first of all, you, know, you were kind of lucky you found this book and then you had, a, you had, a, you had an aha moment. And I think when you have, you come to those moments on your own, those are the most powerful, you know, rather than somebody kind of shoving it down your throat or suggesting things. Cause then there's this resistance right. that comes up yes. but when it's you with a book. It's like, Oh my God, it's like a big slap in the face, isn't it? And you're like, right. I did not realize this whole time. And so it's this whole, your perspective shifts. So 
what if somebody doesn't give us a book, <laughs> yeah. but, but we tend to realize, okay, maybe we realize the physical ailments. So like, I'm, like you said, I've got headaches. I am just feeling super stressed all the time. I'm aware of my anxiety, but I don't know how to wrangle it. I don't know how to, what to do about it. Where, where do we kind of go from there? Yeah, that's, that's a great question because there's so, there's so much even with that, but the main piece is like that awareness, right? Like, oh my gosh, I notice each time this happens, my stomach gets in knots or I can't, or I don't have an appetite when I'm anxious or like, I'm just, you know, I have these physical ailments or whatever it might be, or, or my mind is consumed with just thinking that I can't sleep at night because, um, you know, if we're talking about relationships, right? Like I haven't heard from him or I don't know if he likes me or what if he leaves me or, you know, just all these thoughts, right? Mm-hmm. So you are wanting to bring it back into the body to start noticing what's happening internally. Like, where do you notice the anxiety, right? Is it, is it coming up in knots in your stomach or is it coming up with like your heart racing, right? And just kind of just becoming aware of the sensations in your body. However, one of the things with this though, is that sometimes even doing that might bring up even more anxiety, right? If we've been disconnected from our bodies for a long time, right? Cause we've been just focused on everyone else, but ourselves actually going inward it might feel a little bit scary at times. You might not want to do that. So I always say work on it like a little bit at a time, just feel in, just pause and just notice like, where is the anxiety in my body? Because emotions, traumas, anxieties, depression, all of that stress, it's stored in the body. It's not going to be in the mind. Yes, you're going to have thoughts, but it's going to be in the body. So addressing the body first and just kind of going inward and just being curious about it. Like, oh, that's interesting. I have, my heart is racing right now mm-hmm. because um, I noticed that it's been an hour and he hasn't texted me back yet or something, right? Mm-hmm. So just tapping into it even just a little bit because it can feel overwhelming if you start sensing all of the feelings inside. So even just being curious a little bit and just noticing, I'd, I'd maybe start there, just noticing a little bit like, oh, that's interesting. I noticed that I don't have an appetite right now um, or my stomach feels in knots a little bit and just doing that. And then, and then that's it. And just not overwhelming your body, but then maybe even finding something that might help you like a coping skill, something that helps you maybe bring that anxiety down a little bit, a healthy coping skill. I always maybe start there. Mm-hmm. That could be, that could be lots of things. It could be like, you know what, I'm going to put on one of my favorite shows that, that always like maybe like cheers me up. It could be something like that, right? Um, it could be, you know what, I'm going to call a friend right now um, and just maybe take my mind off of it a little bit. Um, maybe I'm going to go out for a walk. Maybe I'm going to do some movement, some yoga, some put some music on and do some dancing. Some type of coping skill. And the coping skill is more so something that helps in the moment. doesn't necessarily make it like it's like the cure, mm-hmm. but it's just something that in the moment it helps. The main thing is going to be slowly getting back into the connection with your body and the sensations. Mm-hmm. I think that's great advice. I think noticing is kind of the first step to any really lasting change, right? Yeah. 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 And actually one of the things too, now that I'm thinking about it as well, it's like, I, you know, even journaling on before you get into that anxious mode, just journaling on what are some of the triggers that, that you notice that get you to feel some of this anxiety in your relationship, if we're talking about relationships here, like what are some of the triggers and then almost making like a, um, like a, like a plan for yourself. Like, Oh, okay. Notice when, when I don't hear back from him, that's one of my triggers. Or when he is silent with me, when I say something, that's a trigger, like kind of marking down what are some of the triggers and then what are some of the things that have helped you 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whether, like I said, like the, the healthy coping and also adding a little bit in there, like getting, starting to get familiar with the sensations in your body, starting to connect back little by little with yourself. Mm. I think this is really interesting talking about this in the context of romantic relationships specifically, because yeah. sometimes I think there's a fine line, right? You're like, sometimes you are with somebody who is untrustworthy. So what you're, yes. thought, what you're thinking is just, but then it's like, okay, well, where does that, where is that line where it's me being particularly anxious or that person being, you know, untrustworthy and in, in engaging in untrustworthy behavior, right. so, you know, it can become Yes. And I think it's important to understand what that healthy relationship looks like. So then we can separate the two and go, okay, hang on. (laughs) What part of this is me? You know? Right. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up because that is so important because yes, it could be that your partner maybe is, you know, has some unhealthy ways of connecting with you. Mm -hmm. And that's why you know, your anxious attachment gets activated because anxious attachment isn't something necessarily that you're, that you're experiencing 24 seven, it's going to get activated in the context of relationships and in the context of a quote unquote perceived type of threat that, that threat again, for someone with anxious is more. So if I notice that my partner is maybe emotionally or physically distancing, and then you start thinking like, are they mad at me? And are we, is he going to break up with me? And like this fear of the abandonment and rejection. So then that's when it gets activated. And so, yes, if if there is a partner who, or actually let's start with what does that healthy relationship look like, right? Mm -hmm. Um, A partner that is going to be uh, responsive to you, right? Meaning that like they're present, like they hear you out when you're talking to them about your worries or like your feelings, like they're able to be there for you emotionally, right? Maybe that looks like um, hearing you out, like just, you know, letting you know that it makes sense and not, they're not invalidating your feelings or what you're bringing up. A partner, a healthy partnership also looks like, you know, both of you being able to take in what your partner is maybe needing from you or maybe taking accountability and kind of just being able to hear, this goes both ways, right? Being able to hear your partner out, like taking that pause and reflecting about maybe what your partner's sharing in regards to maybe something that they notice about you that, that maybe upset them. And then you're, you're being, you're, you're able to reflect, right. And make compromises where needed. And in order for, for the sake of the relationship, right. And it's a lot to do with trust as well, right? Do I trust that my partner is going to be there for me mm-hmm. with whatever I'm bringing um, to the table? And there's, it's not going to be met with criticism or judgment or invalidation of how I'm feeling. And also, is my partner accessible? Like, can I, it goes back to, can I trust them and rely on them? And are they consistent? Like, are they accessible to me? Like, or is it that like they only share about their stuff and I never get to a chance to talk about how I'm feeling or I always feel like I like that they're taking over and that I have to somehow, you know, um, attend to their needs and my needs don't feel like they're being met in the relationship. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh. There's just so many things coming up for me. Uh, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, there's I, I, so much. There, yes. there is so much. Yeah. And, and active listening and being able to, like, yeah. like you said, if somebody is not if your needs aren't being met, being able to bring that up with them and feel okay about it. And feeling safe. Yeah. Feeling yeah, safe. Feeling safe. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think so with the trust thing, it's like, you know, examining that and going, is the trust, do I not trust them because they've given me a reason not to trust them? Right. Or do I not trust them because of my own baggage that I'm bringing into the relationship? Exactly. Yeah. And right. So 
one of the things that's important then is to identify what are my values and what are my standards in the relationship? Like, so values and standards go together. So what is it that I value that, that I am practicing too, and that I would want my partner, or if you're single, like future partner to also have maybe similar values, values of like, such as that could look like values of like someone who, who is, you know, always, or not always, but like just someone who's emotionally available, right? Mm-hmm. Someone who is honest, someone who, you, you know, you're making a list of these values or qualities that you're looking for, um, for your, like getting to know yourself, like your own, what are your own values? Do you value spirituality? So then do you want to get with a partner who also values that? Mm-hmm. Or if not, like, is it going to create a, a conflict there? So listing your values and then from your values, then what are the standards based on your values? So standards, if let's say we're going with like a value that's important for someone, maybe the spirituality is an example. So maybe a standard for that, per, for that woman or for that person looks like I practice my spirituality and I'd love to have a partner who practices spirituality as well. And that's like my standard in the relationship. Mm-hmm. So if there's someone that comes along that doesn't meet that value, because if it's a value, then it's important to you. And it's something that necessarily shouldn't be compromised, right? Does my standard match like this person or the the list that you've made, right? Of values. Mm-hmm. There's things mm-hmm. that you could compromise. Yes. And then there's other things that for you are like, no, these are like my non-negotiables. Right. And so then from there, you kind of assess like, okay, is this, then am I in this right relationship? Does it feel, does it resonate with me? Does it align with how I'm living my life and the values and the standards or does it not, right? So if I value honesty, and but this person has lied to me a few times, it doesn't match up to my standards that I've set for me. My standard is that I date people that are honest and, and this person maybe has lied regardless of what the lie is, right? Has lied maybe once or a few times. And so then this isn't aligning with what my value is and my standards. Mm-hmm. And, and, I don't, and I don't trust them. Yeah, exactly. Can't trust your word. Yeah, it's right. it sucks, doesn't it? When you're like, you know, I really want to trust you, but you keep giving me reasons not to trust right. you. And like, yeah. And, and I think, again, it comes back to, okay, hang on. If someone says something and they are telling the truth and you're not trusting them, going, okay, again, is this my stuff or is this really happening? You know, it's kind of right. like sometimes you feel like you're going, if, especially if you're being gaslighted, you feel like you, you're going a little bit crazy. You're like, oh my gosh. Right. And that gets messy. Absolutely. Because that is like a skewed perception of your reality. Cause now you're like, wait a second. Like, oh, okay. Like you just, it's yeah. It just knocks you off. Mm-hmm. You don't feel grounded. It just, yeah. Okay. So I love this. We're bringing it back to like, what, what can we do in this situation? What are we in control of? Because we can only change our own behavior. Exactly. Exactly. So the piece here is how are you getting to know yourself? Right. So getting to know yourself in the sense of, you know, starting off with, well, well, what are my values? And let's say you don't even know what that is. Like starting off with, what is it that I need? Right. So what is it that I need for myself on a So this is like a daily practice that I share with my clients, like to start to get the ball rolling of like how to connect back with yourself. If you're just like, I don't know what my needs are. And I don't know then what I'm going to need in a relationship because I'm not too sure about my needs. So Mm -hmm. it's slowly getting connected with checking in with yourself. Like, what is it that I need for myself today? Right now, after work, I'm going to like transition from work to home. So what is it that I need for myself? 
you could start off with like physical needs. If, you, if you're, if you're like that disconnected, right. From yourself, like starting off with like physical needs. Like, did I, did I eat today? Did I drink water? Am I tired? Second step, is this going to nourish me? Whatever it is that you decide to do. So if you need to rest, right. And the way you're going to rest is by taking a nap. Like, is this going to nourish me? Yes, probably it will. And step number three is honoring the commitment, keeping that promise to yourself keeping promises to ourselves develops that like self-trust and like slowly we start to get connected back to ourselves Yeah, by doing like, even just starting off there, if someone's been very disconnected from themselves, just starting off with like every day checking in, what do I need? Well, is this going to nourish me? And then, you know, following through with the commitment from there, I find it helpful in regards to what even values are maybe. And I, unfortunately I can't think off the top of my head, some books, but just even a list of like, what are, what are values? Like even like Google, Google it, or like reading up, up on what do values mean for myself? Right. And again, if that's, if you've been really disconnected from yourself that you have, that you need more guidance and support, just reading a list of like, Oh, okay. These are values and qualities. Oh, okay. Let me see which one of these maybe aligns with me. Mm-hmm. And then from starting from there, making that list and then. Yeah. Awesome. This is so helpful. And I think you saying the part about, um, you know, honoring your word and keeping your word to yourself because that yes. brings it back to the trust, right? Maybe I can't trust other yes. people because I can't even trust my own word. If I keep exactly. breaking my word to myself, then what, you know, I'm projecting that into the world. I don't even trust me. So why would I trust you? Exactly. So, mm. Yes, Exactly. So what is it like, I love that we're on this train. I feel like this is, is, so much good stuff to talk about here. So what's the difference between codependency and anxious attachment and what is anxious attachment? Because I know we we talked about anxiety, but what's anxious attachment? Yeah. So the difference here is that codependency is something that's, that's learned. It does have an essence of like survival because it's learned in, in childhood. And again, it goes back into that that like I, I need to adjust and adapt to what my parents are available or not available for based on what's happening. And I need to take care. I feel like I need to take care of others' needs in my family in order for me to survive, right? If things are chaotic or stressful, or maybe I have a parent who maybe had a physical illness or mental illness, or they were always working, or again, there was substance abuse, or there was something happening then that's usually when the codependency develops because then you're trying to find, because your needs aren't being met, right? You're trying to find a way to get your needs, but you're trying to find a way to adapt. And then the way to adapt is like, well, let me see then if, how do I like anticipate the problems and um, meet everyone else's needs so that I feel needed in this role and all of that, right? So that's like the codependency that's developed in childhood. Anxious attachment, and there are different types of attachment. Uh, so we'll, we'll start with anxious attachment that's something that's developed as an adaptive way to survive in infancy. So it's developed in infancy up until uh, like 18 months or so, right? That's like the core of it where, you know, the attachment system is for, for survival to adapt, to survive. So let's talk about with someone with an anxious attachment style as an infant, they might've had a caregiver who was inconsistent in the way that they they connected and attuned and attached to that infant for many reasons. And I always like to share with my clients, like 
we're not blaming or shaming or judging parents in the way or, or, or the family system in the way it showed up. It's just we're wanting to get the information so that we know and we have context around like, oh, that's what happened. Right. And to get information. So it's not about blaming parents or anything, but you might have had a parent for whatever reason that wasn't consistent generational trauma. It could be that mm-hmm. parent had like postpartum depression or maybe they were just always stressed or working or, you know, different reasons why that parent wasn't able to consistently attune or attach to that infant. So then the infant starts noticing or starts, uh, you know, children, infants are going to adapt to what their parents are available for. So that infant notices unconsciously like, oh, my parent, in this case, let's just say mother, she can't, she's not always going to be here. So I have to find a way to get her attention. Right. So I'm going to do whatever it takes for me to make sure that I cling on to this connection because it's scary without the connection. So I might, oh, I might cry. I might get fussy. I might try to smile and get her attention and do things so that she can connect with me because I don't know the next time when I'm going to get it. So then I'm just going to try to like constantly do that so that I, that I can ensure that I'm going to get something at some point, like connection wise. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Really interesting. Yeah. And it's to survive because you know, the the baby wants to connect in in order, I mean, we need the connection to survive. So it's like a survival adaptation that happens for the anxious attachment style. And then again, so then, and and it's not, the, the attachment styles aren't fixed. They like transform and morph and, you know, change and all of that, depending on just your life experiences and the relationships that you get into. So it'll shift, but you might have a prominent one, right? If it's anxious attachment or maybe another attachment style as well. Okay. Wow. I just, oh my God. I just, I feel Ooh. like we can, we can totally just go forever oh, here. Yeah, it was like, yeah. Okay. So I know that um, in a previous conversation we were having, we we're discussing that there's different types of attachments. For yes. example, anxious attachment, which we just right. discussed, um, secure attachment, avoidant attachment. Yeah. Can you just quickly go over what these are? And like, I know you said that they kind of morph from one right. to another. Yes. And I, I wanted to also bring up too, just with the codependency and anxious attachment, the thing that they do have in common, because one is activated. So one is like something that's learned a behavior, right? Which is the codependency. Mm-hmm. And that's just kind of there in relationships and all of that. And the anxious attachment is activated in the context of the relationship, right? When it uh, sees a perceived threat. So someone can have the, the codependent patterns and behaviors and have a different type of attachment, which it could be like an avoidant attachment. So let's talk about avoidant attachment then in the different attachment styles. So someone with an avoidant attachment style, their threat is going to be someone getting emotionally close to them and vulnerable. So for them, that feels unsafe. And so they're going to want to pull away, right? They're going to want to distance themselves and when that happens, when you have someone who has an anxious and avoidant attachment style, then you see this dance of the distance or pursuer. Like then the anxious one is like, well, I wait, like I want to cling on here. I want to, I feel mm-hmm. like I'm losing the connection here and I want to hold on tighter then because I notice that my partner is emotionally or physically pulling away. And yep. <laughs> that person with the avoidant, they feel safe pulling away because maybe as an infant, they probably had a parent who again, for many different reasons, who was consistently not available emotionally to them, not, not attuning to them, not, you know, maybe that parent was depressed. Like there's numerous reasons. So consistently there was a misattunement 
or neglect. And so then again, that infant, their role is to adjust to the parents, whatever the parents available for. So the infant knows my mom isn't available to attune to me, right? This is all unconsciously, right? My mom isn't available to attune to me. So in order for me to help her, because I know she's not available to attune, I'm not going to make a big fuss. I'm not going to seek her. It's probably just safer for me not to reach out and seek because I'm not going to get it in return. And I'm doing this for the sake of her because I know that she can't do this for me. So then in relationships that manifest as like, I don't even know what needs are. I don't even need needs, right? I don't have needs. I'm not going to ask for support. I'm very independent and self-sufficient. And then the moment that there's like this closeness, emotional closeness, that's too much because I don't know what that's like because I didn't have that growing up. So that feels kind of scary. I don't want anyone to depend on me or anything like that. So I just want to pull away because that feels safer mm. to pull away. I, I'm, I've been smiling this whole time because I'm just thinking about this exact scenario that I was in where I, someone who was just so hot and cold, it's like, yeah. you know, like Katy Perry song oh, just keeps coming up that. Yeah that hot and cold. And it's really interesting. Exactly actually. It. Yeah. Cause I was, I was actually at um, a pub with him the other day having a drink and he was talking about um, his parents breaking up when he was really young. And he yeah. said, he asked his mom and he said, Hey mom, like, I really need to know, like, I've never heard the story. Why, what happened? But I'm not going to go into the whole story, but basically what had happened was she had a childhood trauma. Something yeah. triggered the childhood trauma with her um, now ex-husband. And then, the, then as soon as that happened, she shut down and then relationship eventually ended after two years. And I, and I, just, I just remember thinking there is so much trauma out there, so much generational trauma, so much Absolutely. stuff that's gone on in our parents' lives. So really yes. they're just doing the best they can with what they exactly. have. Exactly, exactly. And the reason why I want to mention this is because I feel like, you know, all of this work that we're talking about, if we don't take responsibility for our own behavior and do it, right. even though we probably might have some of that trauma and all these attachments from our parents, you know, right. um, experiences, then nothing will change. Right. It's like, you know, right. we have to kind of break that cycle and put the work in yes. and, it, and it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. It right? is. It's not easy. It is uncomfortable. It is. It takes a, it, it can be scary to actually like start to, to unpack everything. Yeah. Which is why it's helpful to, to have someone there to help unpack Right. these things and to do it slowly because we don't want to rush through the process because it could it could be a lot to kind of like look at it you know and mm -hmm. yeah what is secure attachment this is this is just so fascinating mm -hmm. what's secure attachment yeah so secure attachment like that you know as an infant you would have and in your child you would have had a parent who was consistently for the most part right i know no one can always consistently be there but for the most part they were consistently available. They were a, a source of safety. You could rely on that parent because they were going to be consistent and available for you. They were emotionally attuned to your needs. So you grew up feeling pretty secure about the world and people and in your relationships. Like you feel okay. You don't feel like it's going to be the end of the world if someone breaks up with you or if someone gets too close to you. You're okay with both um, a distance and closeness. It doesn't activate anything for you. Mm -hmm. You don't shut down or you don't get anxious. You're, you know, you're able to express your needs and you trust that your needs will get met. Right. And you trust that because you might get, you might be in relationships with others who also have more of that secure attachment as well. 
Right. Yeah. Okay. So that one sounds like, is that, would it be fair to say that that one's kind of like something that you can work with, something that's a bit healthy and able to. Exactly. And, the, and that is right. Right. So that is the goal to, okay. because, because these aren't fixed, like uh, fixed meaning like you, that, that is like, that's how it is that the goal is for to turn towards more of that secure attachment. So with someone who has like an anxious attachment, right? And and one of the things that I do want to bring up, someone with an anxious attachment, their conscious fear, right? The fear that they're aware of is that fear of abandonment and rejection. Right. Their unconscious fear, interestingly, their unconscious fear is actually being emotionally vulnerable and emotionally intimate. That's really their unconscious fear because if I'm truly emotionally vulnerable with you and truly share my needs and my feelings or how these, or, or how something made me feel, what if you leave me? What if by me expressing, you get upset and mad and then you leave, right? That, that's the unconscious fear for someone with an anxious attachment. So then when someone with an avoidant attachment, their conscious fear is like the closest, right? Like you're getting, you're getting too close. That emotional intimacy, like that's too much, like that doesn't feel safe. However, their unconscious fear for the avoidant attachment is the fear of abandonment and rejection. It's like, I don't want to get too close. It's the same thing. It's flipped. It's like, I don't want to get too close because what if you leave? If I actually open up to you, like, what if you leave? So I'm not going to do that. So again, these are conscious and unconscious fears. Mm -hmm. So the goal is to shift to more of that secure attachment. And so someone then with an anxious attachment style they would slowly start shifting more towards what's called like self-regulation, meaning when they're in this anxious state, usually what they want to do is they want to seek externally. Like, well, let me reach for my phone and let me call and let me send the text messages. Let me do X, Y, and Z. And it's more so like, how can I, going back into like, how can I get back into my body? What is it that I need? Like that thing, right? Mm -hmm. To kind of get myself calm just a little bit at least. And then from there, then they're, getting more secure, right? Grounded. And then it's about for them to trust the connection that they have with this partner. Assuming, as you said, I think you mentioned earlier, assuming that the partner is a healthy, secure partner, right? right Not someone right. who's lied to them and is like unhealthy and like it's toxic relationship. And obviously that's not, that's not going to feel safe. It doesn't make sense. Right. But assuming that this partner that they're with is actually there, it's available for them. And and, and maybe they're just having the fears because of the past and all of that, then that person's role is how can I trust the connection? So how can I bring in some self-regulation to calm myself down, right? And also how do I trust the connection that I have with my partner? Let me remember earlier today that he texted me. Let me remember the moment that we spent yesterday that was pleasant. So it's kind of bringing back these positive connections that you had earlier that day or the day before to slowly start shifting more to that secure attachment. Mm -hmm. And then someone with more of an avoidant attachment, they, because they like to keep to themselves, right. When they get activated, theirs is about how do I shift towards the connection? So instead of like disconnecting, how do I shift towards the connection little by little? Because it might not feel safe for them to do so, right? Because they're not used to that. So how do I just little by little allow myself to maybe be present when my partner's sharing something? Or maybe maybe I share a little something with my partner, maybe a mm -hmm. little bit of vulnerability or something, right? How do I do that? How do I shift towards the, the connection and feel, you know, slowly working myself to that? Because it's yeah. all about safety. Like we don't want to force it to happen, right? 
we need to acknowledge that these are survival mechanisms, these attachment styles. And so it's slowly shifting towards that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. When I'm hearing you speak, and there's just so many complexities to relationships oh, and yes. so much like so many little hangups that happen. I, um, I'm going to tell a, a quick story. I, yeah. I, I was seeing this guy once and he came back from a month. He, he'd been away for a month and we were both really missing each other. And he came back and he actually, it was in the last kind of, you know, COVID scene and he had to get a COVID test. He couldn't come back into the state without getting COVID mm. test, which means mm-hmm. he had to self-isolate. So yeah. anyway, I hadn't heard from him. I messaged him the night, like he'd come home and I messaged him and I didn't hear anything from him. And, and I was like, whatever, I'm not going to make anything up about it. You know, I'll just right. go to sleep. The next day though, I didn't hear anything from him. So I was like, okay, I messaged him and I was like, hey, like, how's it going? Like, you know, is everything okay? Right. And then he, nothing, nothing back. And then I was oh, like, wow. yeah, a couple of hours later, I was like, okay, I'm starting to get worried now because he's supposed to be quarantining. So like what, what's going on? Right. And I, I messaged his housemate and said, hey, is, is so-and-so here? Can you check for me? He's like, yeah, he's not here. I, I checked. And I was like, are you sure? He's like, yeah, he's not here. And I was like, where could he have gone? He's supposed to be in quarantine. Right. So I, so I was starting to panic. I'm like, okay, something's gone wrong. Like something's happened. Right. Anyway, yeah. flash forward, he finally messages me and um, calls me and, and he's like, Hey, and, and I'm like, I'm like, Hey, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> and, he was yeah. like, and he's like, Oh, nothing. I just wasn't near my phone. And I was like, what is going on? This is such weird behavior. Anyway, mm-hmm. he'd been out of the state for a month and, and I was kind of like racking wow. my brain going, what's going on? Did his, yeah. you know, I know if his ex-girlfriend's called him before, he's been thrown, his behavior gets a little bit thrown. And I yeah. asked him, have you been speaking to your ex? And he's like, right. he's like, no, I haven't. And he's like, that's a weird question. And I'm like racking my brain. And then I'm going, I'm like, okay, what's the one thing that he hasn't been able to do because he's been out of state? And I was like, yeah. smoking weed. He's been smoking uh, weed with yeah. his first love. <laughs> and I was like, that everything just made sense. Because I was like, and yeah. so I was going through all this stuff in my head and I was right. going, I know there's something off, but he's saying nothing's off. Right. What was it? And I was like, he, it's the first time he smoked weed in a month. And when he smokes weed, he doesn't, he just wants to be in his own world and not answer his phone. So yeah. I was like, every, I, my, I was just like, okay, everything just came right. down. Cause I was like, suddenly everything was just explained. And, yeah. and I just thought it was such a fascinating experience kind of being in it and having that realization and going, okay, right. there is an answer here. I just don't know what it is. Cause I kept asking him like, something's not right. Like something feels different. Right. And, and that's so interesting that you picked up on it, like intuitively, like there's something off. I'm going to listen to that. I don't know what it is, but there's yeah. something here. Cause I kept asking yeah. him like, what's, what's going on? Like yeah. something. And he was like, he couldn't think of it. Cause he was like, I don't yeah, know. Like, yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. And then I, and I said, and I said, oh my gosh, you're stoned, aren't you? And he goes, yeah. And I was like, oh, that's what it that's is. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And I yeah. just hadn't spoke to, and I, I don't mind. I, I don't, you know, I didn't have a problem with that, but I was just like, it just, everything yeah. made sense. And, and, the reason why right. I'm explaining this, because I was just thinking, God, there were so many ways that that could have gone with me freaking out, yeah, something's right. going on, you know, this, 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 making all these things up that didn't exist when exactly. the answer was, okay, there is some, <laughs> there is some substance um, intervention here or some yeah. um, use. So it's definitely, so I wasn't going, first of all, I wasn't going nuts. You know, it was happening. Right. Exactly. He wasn't actively trying to hide it from me. He just didn't put the pieces together. Right. That's so interesting. Yeah. I just thought, wow, I, that was just such a lesson for me. Cause I was like, okay, trust. Cause I was, I kept, you know, in those moments, I guess what, what happens to me is I don't trust myself. I'm like, hang on a second. Mm. My intuition saying something's off, but, now, right. but he's saying and that's where the, the incongruency with my own feelings right. happens. 
you know, anyway, the, the reason why I wanted to explain that, cause I just thought, you know, there's, I, you know, I was, I was right as in something was off. I just couldn't figure out what it was. Exactly. Right. And so you brought in like that a curiosity about like, well, let's see what it could be because I, I know that something's here. So I think yeah. that piece is also important. Like a little bit of that, like curiosity and exploration yeah. because you didn't like ignore what you were feeling. It was more like, well, let's kind of like take a look here because I know I'm feeling something. And so yeah, something's yeah. going on. And also as well, like my reaction was as well, like, I, cause I was like really worried when I called him, I was like, I was so worried about you. Like, yeah, you know, and, and then, and then I didn't message him back. Cause I was like, there's a couple of ways this could go. <laughs> I could yeah. be really angry at him. Mm-hmm. I don't, right. I really try not to be angry because I don't, I don't want to, I just don't want to put that anger in my body. Yeah. yeah. But also as well, uh, but then I was like, my reaction was actually, I was hurt because I was like, you know, because his COVID test was clear. And I was like, you didn't yeah. think to even tell me, I, you know, I haven't seen you for a month. But, right. but the fact that he was stoned to me, I was like, it makes sense. You know, I'm not yeah. as straight away. Right. Everything just was like, Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're just smoking some weed. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> and he didn't think to say it. Cause why would he, you know? Right. Like, he, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I just, I just, that just hearing all of this talk about like yeah. just all this stuff that goes on in our heads and like mm-hmm. sifting through it all. And I, and mm-hmm. I, I just think your advice on being the watcher, you know, what noticing that, you know, I say that I've got a course called 30 days of self-love in action. And that's one of the steps oh, yes. is what do you notice? What are you noticing? Amazing. Keep coming back, yes, so. exactly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So how can we, I mean, obviously there's people who can guide us through this such as yourself. Right. How yeah. do people like, first of all, how do people f- find you or know what to do? Like if they're like, okay, this is interrupting my life. I've, I'm at the point where I've noticed that I mean that I have codependent uh, tendencies right. or I have, you know, I'm, I'm quite anxious and I have this anxious attachment. Right. How do I kind of get to a place where I can work through that or start working through that? What are the steps? Yeah. Yeah. I do think it's important to, whether it's a mentor, a coach, practitioner, therapist, someone to help guide you through that, especially because we're talking about if there's been trauma in regards to like, let's say codependency or just anxious attachment or any, any attachment, but in this case, you know, anxious attachment, we're able to shift and heal through a relationship with someone else, someone who's also safe. Right. And so usually that might be working with a practitioner or a therapist or a coach to help you and guide you and and unpack that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, so it's looking like that. To get started, I guess it would be, as I mentioned before, like just trying to see, like just doing like the the basics of like, what is it that I might need right now? Noticing also how is it, if we're talking about anxiety here and stress or, you know, how, where does it look like in my body? Because we always want to bring it back to the body. And I said little by little, because sometimes it could feel overwhelming to do that all at once. So starting to get connected with your body, like that's really like the main thing here. It's connection to yourself because anxiety and codependency, you get lost in the other person. So you lose yourself. There's no sense of self. So it's like slowly getting back to connection to yourself through what's happening in your body because your body understands it through a felt sense experience, which means that we got it. We want to get in touch with the sensations in the body of how these emotions are communicating to us. Because if we just kind of keep it up here intellectually, 
and intellectually looks like like reading the books, which are which is helpful, right? It's helpful to do these things because we do need context. But the other big piece here is okay. Now, what's happening internally in my body? How do I start noticing how emotions manifest themselves physically in my body? Like I would say, like that's like an important step there. Like when I'm feeling something. Can I feel it for a little bit? And how does it manifest in my body? Can I just notice it? Because we want to be acknowledged and seen and heard, but our emotions want that as well. And so that's what we're doing. And then that's how we're building a connection back with ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like it, it, like we were talking about before, it's, it's, it's the constant work, isn't it? Of being aware and being noticed yes. and noticing and and coming, yeah. coming back to it if we fall off. Because I, I think it's like anything, right? You, you fall off, yeah. you get kind of, I don't even know if, if, if fed up's the word, like I'm kind of um, likening it to something like dieting where you're like, mm-hmm. oh my God, I'm mm-hmm. over this. And then you come back yeah. to it because you're like, well, I actually feel better when I do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because, you know, in, in reality, like there's going to be stressors in life. Like you might experience heartbreak. Like there's going to be things that are going on in general. And so you want to ensure like, how do I how do I bring in some regulation, right? Regulation, meaning how do I feel more safe in my body, more calm, more relaxed, more grounded, more secure. And it's by starting to check in with yourself whenever you feel off balance or whenever there's a stress that happens or something, it's always like connecting back with yourself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That relationship with yourself. Oh my gosh, Tana, this has been so helpful. Thank you so much. Before we wrap up, I've just got, um, I just want to ask you, um, is there any like kind of last words of wisdom that you wanted to impart on anyone who may feel like they are codependent or they're in a relationship with someone who is codependent or with um, anxious attachment? Yeah. I mean, the, the words of wisdom, I guess I'd like to impart is that there's nothing the matter with you. There's nothing wrong with you for being in a codependent relationship or having these codependent behaviors or feeling anxious or feeling, you know, anxiety in your relationships. This is the way that your body has adapted to survive, right? So in codependency, your body has adapted to survive in being in a role of that rescue or fixer caretaker, right? Or in anxiety and anxious attachment, your body has adapted to survive in regards to wanting to just cling on and connect with someone because there's a fear of abandonment. So just knowing that like your body is to protect you and it's doing what it can, but now your role, right. Is to let your body know, Hey, you know what? Actually we're adults. We don't need that protection anymore. We're safe now. Right. And how do we get more into stepping more into feeling more safe in our bodies and more secure? Mm, I love so that. Knowing that your body is not failing you. There's nothing wrong with you it's doing what it's supposed to do. Right. It's doing what it's learned. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much, Tana. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Yeah. Um, I like to hang out on Instagram. So my handle is at loves.hustle, H-U-S-T-L-E. And I also have a free anxious attachment masterclass um, that you can click the link in my bio on Instagram to catch that. And my website, www.loves.hustle hustle.com. Awesome. Thank you so much again for being here. I really, really Thank appreciate it. Of course. Oh, it's Thank been you so awesome. much for having me on here. Oh, it's awesome. I, I just was like, I was like, oh no, I'm running out of time. I have to wrap it up. It sucks because there's so much to talk about. There's so much. I know. Yeah, oh, this yeah. is great though. Thank you. No worries. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate yeah. it.
And for anyone listening, you can find all the links mentioned in this episode at rebellove.com forward slash EP29. Thank you again. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Rebel Love Podcast, the podcast about love, sex, relationships, and money. If you like this episode, please support us by subscribing and leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform and find all the details of this episode and more at rebellove.com forward slash podcast. 